We're so glad you're here. You can be seated, uh, if you will. I want you to turn with me to John 15. Uh, John 15. We're going to be there in just a moment. Uh, but last week we talked about transformation from the scripture in 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in that same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. That phrase, when you look at it, transformed in the same image from glory to glory, simply means that we are transitioning in his presence day by day. We're becoming uh, an imitator of God, which we're commanded to be in Ephesians 5 and 1. Uh, we're uh, becoming a physical representation of Christ, and we are the gateway through which God's glory flows. Isn't that an honor? That we can call heaven to earth. We have that authority. We're sons and daughters of God. So we're the gateway. Transformation occurs one act of obedience at a time, one step of trust at a time, one act of surrender. In the Bible, transformation means change or renewal from a life that no longer conforms to the ways of the world to one that pleases God. I love this phrase. I had said it last week. I'm going to say it again by Christine Kane. Jesus is not into behavior modification. He is into heart transformation. He doesn't do things part way. The work that he's begun in you, that good work, he's going to complete it. That's what the word of the Lord says. In last week's message, we talked about the fact that transformation is both a miracle from God, but it's also the stewardship of man. We play a part in it. Uh, transformation is immediate, but it's also progressive. I like the ESV of the scripture we read in 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. One degree of glory. So from last week to now, You've been moving in degrees. You're shining a little brighter. Your countenance is reflecting his glory a little bit more. Isn't that powerful? One degree at a time. We pondered four specific truths about transformation. Our new life in Christ begins that transformation process. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. Uh, that's transformation. Salvation is immediately. Immediately when we ask Jesus into our heart, there is a transformation that comes. The old is gone. The new has come. We are now a new creation in Christ. Aren't you thankful for that? We don't work for our salvation. We can't earn it. It is a free gift of God's grace through faith. So transformation begins then. We continue the transformation process in our lives through discipleship. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. So discipleship is becoming a student of the word. It's intentionally putting yourself in a place with seasoned teachers and Christians, uh, opening your word that can help you grow in grace, understand 
what you're reading, and help you to grow in God. It's necessary till we leave this earth, earth, we need to be growing in God. John 17, 17, Jesus is praying over his disciples and he says, sanctify them with truth. Your word is truth. His word washes us. It's powerful. It'll heal us. It'll wash us clean. Transformation is produced in us when we come into agreement and alignment with his word. We can sit in church. We can read the word and and not change at all. Now, we know enough now that we're responsible for it. So we can't say we didn't know. But once we know, our part is to come into agreement and alignment with the word so that he can begin to change us. Uh, Thirdly, in order for spiritual formation and transformation to continue in our lives, we have to become doers of the word and not hearers only. James 2.17 tells us that faith without works is dead. Faith is proactive and so is transformation. So we we need to be utilizing our gifts and putting our faith into action, obeying what we've already heard. That's why I am still um, rejoicing over Sunday. 40 people baptized. They took that step of obedience of what they knew. Some of you are here and you stepped in obedience that I'm going to follow God. That's transformation. That's when it happens is when we obey God. Uh, That's taking a step of faith. Lastly, one of the most prolific personal spiritual transformations that will ever happen within us as believers is when we begin to surrender to the Lord. Surrender our will. Surrender our life. Surrender our choices. Surrender our wants. For what he wants. A life of surrender, I want you to grab this, is where we begin to probe the depths of glory. It's where deep calls to deep. You know, some are going to stay along the fringes. They're going to make it to heaven. They love God, but they stay where it's safe and they stay where it's comfortable, where they can compromise now and then. But if you're going to fully surrender That's when you're going to go deep. That's when you're going to go out where you can swim. That's where you're going to go out and probe the depths of God's glory. You're going to see and hear things. You're going to begin to hear the sound of heaven. There are sounds happening all around us. That's why I cannot be in a service. I don't want to be in a service where we're just singing a song. I want to hear heaven joining in. I want to hear the sound of of God in the top of the mulberry trees letting me know that I'm heading in the right direction and that he's moving on my behalf, that he's going before me. That's what happens when you begin to surrender. You go deep. You go deep. It's where you begin to host his presence moment by moment. Surrender is the kingdom stage. It's where we grow up in him. We put away childish things. We don't have to have our way. We don't have to have the last word. And I know we like it. We like to be right. We like this flesh to be pampered. 
But surrender is that kingdom stage where it's, it's not about me anymore. And we begin to lay aside weights and we begin to lay aside sins, things that slow us down, that are not healthy for us. We begin to die to self. We know in order to grow, we've got to decrease so that he can increase. We learn to crucify the flesh and we live by faith. One writer, I'm going to say it again, puts the degrees of transformation as cleaning up, growing up, waking up, and showing up. So tonight I want to continue in the same vein of transformation in that transformation comes through abiding in his presence. Abiding. We're going to talk about that. So I want you to look with me at John 15. This is Jesus teaching. He's given this beautiful word picture, this analogy that we can grab a hold of. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Verse four, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them in the fire and they are burned. Now verse 7 contains a powerful promise. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. In these 10 verses, we find the word abide or abides 10 times. I think Jesus is trying to teach us something, don't you? Ten times. J.C. Ryle explains, to abide in Christ means to keep up a habit of constant close communion with him. To always be leaning on him, resting on him, pouring out our hearts to him, and using him as our fountain of life and strength, as our chief companion and best friend. When you think about the word abide, it means to dwell, to remain it means to stay joined to, attached to. Come up here, Sonia. I had planned on doing this, but I, I, I want to show you. I want you to stay here for just, just a minute. J.I. Packer said, abide is an old English word for remain, to stay steady, keep your position. What it means to abide in Christ, that is always to be resting on him, anchored to him. Come on over here. Fixed in him, drawing from him, continually connected and in touch with him. Abiding in Christ brings peace, joy, love, answers to prayer, and fruitfulness to serving. The abiding life is the abundant life. We're staying connected. Brian Hedges describes it as connection 
I'm not going to let go. Come hell or high water, I'm going to hold on. I'm going to depend on the Lord with all I have because without him, I can do nothing. I'm going to continue in him. Those three are interwoven. It's not one than the other. I'm going to, I am going to stay connected. I'm going to depend and I'm going to continue. And if he moves, I'm moving. If he stops, I stop. If he says, go forward, I go forward. If he says, sing, I sing. If he says, call someone, I call someone. If he says, don't, then don't. You're staying connected. It's continual. You're not going to go anywhere without him. When you have a bad day and you get carnal and you realize that you failed, he hadn't left you just because you've messed up. We start moving away from him. He stays there. What does he do? We've failed. He helps us get up. He pulls us up. He tells us, shake yourself off. Keep going. You don't have to lay the foundation every time you get weak, every time you fail. You're connected to the vine. This is where your source comes from anyhow. This is your strength. This is where it comes from. Thank you, my friend. (laughs) We're given a command by Jesus in John 15, 4, to abide in me and I in you. That word abide is a verb. It is action. It's not complacent. It's not a noun. It's you're doing something. You're abiding in Christ. It's not because of how I feel or even what I believe or think in the moment. It's an intentional act of my will. It is something that I consciously do day by day. I'm aware that Jesus is with me. He lives in my heart and what I do, what I say, I am conscious. Does it please him? Does it grieve him? Will it honor him? Will it edify others? Will it glorify God? That's what it means to abide. It's action. First John 2 and 6 says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way which he walked. He set the example here on earth. According to Psalms 91, to abide places us under the protection of the Almighty, under the shadow of the Almighty. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High, say it with me, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. When we abide, we are protected. We are under his covering. Nothing can come to me unless it goes through him. Trials are going to come, but they've already been sanctioned by him. Psalm 61 confirms the same truth. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell or abide in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Selah. There's an old song we used to sing quite a lot, actually. If you remember it, sing it with me. For the Lord is my tower. 
And he gives me the power to tear down the works of the enemy. In a difficult hour, he will crush and devour and bring the powers of darkness underneath my feet. <laughs> Isn't that powerful? When you abide, you're dwelling under his safe covering. To abide is to host his presence. John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. He doesn't come and go depending upon your spiritual status of how you feel in the day. He has come to abide to help you when you're strong and to help you when you're weak. When you don't know how to pray, he will pray. When you don't know where to go, he will nudge you and help you. Isn't that awesome? That, that is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. We host him. We have to learn to do that. We have to learn to be aware that God loves us so much that he sent us a comforter, a helper, a teacher. Someone that would stand in with us. And help us on every part of our journey. Disciple us. Nurture us. Comfort us. 1 John 4.13 says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. We feel it. His spirit bears witness with our spirit. We cry, Abba, Father. There's just something down inside that's different because we're now priests. We're no longer of this world. We're just passing through. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through, but while I'm here, I'm gonna be a gateway for the glory of God. I'm gonna stay connected to the vine. I'm gonna host his presence and abide in him. I'm gonna make an eternal difference everywhere. I go we host him Sinclair Ferguson said abiding in Christ means allowing his word to fill our minds direct our wills and transform our affections to abide in the spirit produces the fruit of the spirit in us this is where I'm going to spend the rest of our time tonight abiding in Jesus staying connected and dependent upon him and following his lead produces or positions us and produces the, the fruit of the spirit in us. We cannot do it in ourselves. This is the foundation of the Christian life. This is what we're called to do. We read it even up in the scriptures. We are called to bear fruit and more fruit and much fruit. That comes by the power of the Holy Spirit abiding in us, not visiting, abiding, living there. Because some of us, we have different issues. Some of us deal with anger issues. Some of us deal with rejection issues. 
Some of us deal with uh, different types of addiction issues or sin issues or uh, low self-esteem or shame. Whatever it is that uh, many times has been uh, uh, brought in us because of even things that may have happened to us. And so he abides within us to help produce the fruit of the spirit in us and help us to overcome those areas that are fleshly, that are carnal, that are temporal, and that are weak that we cannot do in ourselves. We, we cannot say, I, I'm always going to be this way. My family was this way. I've always dealt with anxiety. Our whole family's dealt with anxiety. Our whole family has dealt with addictions or with this or that. You have new blood in your veins. Yes, you still have the DNA of your natural family, but you have been adopted in and grafted in into the body of Christ. And now the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, giving life to your mortal bodies. It is no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. So through him, I can overcome the works of darkness and the works of the flesh. Not in myself, but in him. In him. That's why our devotional life is non-negotiable. It's a choice we have to make every day to get into the word. We will not be any stronger in our faith and our knowledge of the word. When the word gets in us, then we begin to obey. That's why prayer and trust are vital to not just uh, survival, but thriving. I don't want to just get by. I want to thrive in kingdom things. And that's what abiding does. It helps us to thrive. If walking with him is not our main concern, then, then we are warned. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. So that means we're not going to produce anything of eternal value. We may go through and do a lot of good things in life, but what we want to do is we want to invest in, in eternal things, not temporal things, things that are going to last, building on up into heaven, things that are going to last, and leaving a legacy behind us because of abiding in him and the faith that flows through us. The ESV talks about being transformed from glory to glory one degree at a time. Jesus teaches us in this passage that as we abide in him, that he's going to prune areas of our life that are not fruitful so that we can bear fruit and more fruit. Verse 8 tells us that our heavenly father is glorified when we bear much fruit. That pruning comes from abiding because we learn that we have to decrease so that he can increase. I don't like pruning. Don't like it. It looks cruel at times and it feels cruel at times. You're going through and you feel like you've been whittled down to a stump. Everyone can see. It's, it makes you vulnerable. Everyone can see uh, all your... Uh, inadequacies and all your failures. It's like that's what you feel because you're coming into the glory of God. It's not that everyone else sees it. It's just you're vulnerable because you've said, God, I'll decrease so you can increase. And he's like, are you sure you want to do that? Because when he begins to prune, there are things it's like, how in the world did that get in there? Surely I don't think like that or act like that. Surely not. I asked the Lord, some of you know this, years and years ago, I said, Lord, if you'll work on that man, 
if you will work on that man you gave me, I can be a better woman. And I got up one morning and was just brushing my teeth, minding my business. And the Lord said to me, how about if I start on you? And I said, Lord, you mean there are things wrong with me? And I'm telling you, when he began to reveal them, it wasn't pretty. Pruning is uncomfortable, but it's necessary. We cannot grow. He's got to remove things that are unproductive in our life and that are hindering not only us, but maybe hindering our witness. So he'll prune things that are not bearing fruit. A couple of years ago, I pruned a yellow rose bush we had in our yard and I pruned it down to the stump. It just looked like it was dead. And I thought, it's not gonna do anything. So I took it out. I transplanted it somewhere else because I thought, I don't want that here and not looking pretty. I'm gonna put something else here because it was right in the main focus and transplanted that thing and it was the most beautiful plant in the garden that year. It's not pleasant and it can be painful but the process is profitable because he begins to bear his fruit through us. Joni Erickson Tata said, God is more concerned with conforming me to the likeness of his son than leaving me in my comfort zones. God is more interested in inward qualities than outward circumstances. Things like refining my faith, humbling my heart, cleaning up my thought life, and strengthening my character. Now I wanna ask a probing question I had read this one time that Stephen Furtick had asked, and I kind of keep it at times where I can remind myself. So I want to ask you this. What if what you're going through wasn't meant to destroy you, but develop you? Let me ask that again. What if what you're going through isn't meant to destroy you, but develop you? Now, I'm going to encourage you to stay the course. Because pruning is painful. It's, it's not pleasant. It's not easy. None of us like it. But the fruit you're about to bear. The glory you're about to experience. The anointing that is about to be released through you. Only heaven can reveal. So don't short circuit the process. Yes, Lord. God's developing some of you. So that he can take you into Walmart. And you won't be ashamed or feel worried about what everybody's thinking when someone comes up to you and says, I'm going through a divorce right now and I feel so lonely. You're going to put your hand on them and you're going to pray. You don't have to pray out loud and in tongues. You can if he says it. But you, that, that doesn't show you're spiritual. It's the spirit of God in you. You may not even say anything, but lay your hand on them. Say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Heal this broken heart. Give them strength to walk this out. 
That's what God's doing in you. It's so that it'll bring glory to him. It's so that when you come in this church and hell has been fighting you all week long and he tries to say to you, you're so unspiritual. Look at you. And the God in you says, lift those hands. Praise God anyhow. And you let out a war hoop. Hey, hallelujah. He's developing something in you while you're being pruned. God's doing something. The kingdom of God has got to begin to shine forth. The darkness is so dark. It's so brazen. So tired of that brazen spirit in my face. Don't even have to say anything when the anointing's in you. You just walk with your shoulders packed. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Begins to break down the gates of hell because they cannot prevail against the church. There's something happening in the heavenlies church. Stay the course. Dig in. Go deep. Don't you keep waiting around the edges. Don't let the enemy torment you and say, you've done this and you've done that and you're not spiritual enough. The spirit of God abiding in you is fighting for you. Here's a truth we need to be reminded of, and I'm getting ready to close this out here shortly. We are often tempted to use the grace that we have been given as a ticket to sin and as an excuse not to grow up in him and as an excuse to stay angry and as an excuse not to forgive and as an excuse to stay bitter. But his grace was given to us, an extraordinary grace to push back the gates of hell, to stand firm and bring the kingdom of God to the earth. It was not for us to pay patty cake, to stay condemned and confused and quiet. It's an extraordinary grace. It broke the back of the enemy. It made an open show of the devil on the cross. Extraordinary grace. Here's what I want to remind you of. This is the words of God. We have so many today that want to say this is okay and that's okay and this is okay and that's okay. This is not an opinion. This is the word of God. I say then, Galatians 5.16, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the lust, for the flesh lust against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and they're contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You're not in bondage. You're not controlled by the flesh. It has no, no say and no dominance over you. 
That's why prayer and fasting in the word is so important. It breaks the back of the enemy. It positions you to know who you are. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. These are the works of the flesh. This is not grace for a ticket to sin. This is the works of the flesh. And it hurts and destroys. They're adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outburst of wrath, which is uncontrolled anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit which is what he produces in us when we abide in him, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If we abide in his presence, the Holy Spirit is going to give us the power, the unction, the anointing, and the fortitude to crucify this flesh. We can't do it in ourselves. We need his power working in us to do it. And that's why we often fail because we think I've got to get this in order and then God will help me. He sent his spirit so that you can get things in order that you can't do on your own. When we abide in his presence, it's to taste and see that the Lord is good. It's to experience his fullness and dive into the treasures of the kingdom of heaven. Vlad Safchuk said, abiding leads to abounding. How many wants to abound? Christian success is called fruit. You don't get fruit from work, but from abiding. That's why Paul said in Colossians 1 and 10, to be fruitful in every good work. Our work flows from our fruitfulness, which comes from our abiding. If we start abiding, the church is going to be full. We're going to have so many people making disciples. So many people helping Praying people through, praying them through before they ever get here. Praying them through when you call them on the phone. Praying them through when you see them out. Because <laughs> you're abiding. It's him. It's not no longer I that lives, it's Christ. I can't do it. I can't convict anybody. I can't heal anybody. I can't convince anybody. But the spirit of God in me, if I can just give him an opportunity. I'm going to show you what the practice of abiding looks like and we're closing. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'm going to read it out of the message. This is abiding. We make it hard. We try to do all kinds of disciplines. And when we have a bad day and we fail, we think, well, what's the use? Here's abiding. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, and you're walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-informed maturity in you. 
I want to encourage you to stay connected to the vine. And I want to read this to somebody. God's been my source and my strength. He's been helping me. You ever go through times where you just need God to help you? A little bit tougher seasons than others? Yeah. This is what he says. Because I find that sometimes with my personality that I strive. You ever strive? Just got to always be doing something. Striving. But I'm really learning to rest and abide. Let him abide and abide in him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That's really what he wants for you tonight and for me. Is that we just come to him. And we rest in him. And we allow him to minister to us as we just love on him.